Are we live? We're live. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show. At least I hope you are. <laughs> WakeUpAmericaShow.com. How are we doing? We made it. Looks like we made it. Uh, thank you. Big thank you. We've got to give another round of applause. Push the applause button again for my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie, who's sitting on the edge of the desk. You can't see her, but who got her butt up this morning and drove as quickly as she could to make it to the studio because the internet is down in the studio. The, we have the internet down. The internet is down. Uh, I was thinking I might have to stream it through my mobile phone, which was not looking good, uh, but she made it here with the router. I don't know how good that's going to be. I'm just going to do the best we can because we've got to do a show today. Vivek goes Hulk mode last night in the GOP debate. Oh, my God. Talk about civilian casualties, man. He was just leaving bodies all over the place. Oh, well, they're not properly uniformed soldiers, but still. We'll just say uh, a little collateral damage in war. It is what it is. Of course, we're going to go through all of the awesome clips of Vivek Ramaswamy killing it last night and a nice moment from Ron DeSantis, too. Good job, Ron DeSantis. He did something that I was very impressed with. Told me what I he's just telling you know what people need to say now, just like with Vivek. He's just telling you what you want to hear, Austin. He's just telling you what you want to hear. Oh, well, I don't give a crap. I want to hear what I want to hear. I'm sick of hearing stuff that I don't want to hear because that's Mostly what I hear from politicians. What about you? Tell me what I want to hear in the text line at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Text line is open night or day. Rock, God, God, you love that rock riff, don't you? Again, the text line is 573-319-1586. Somebody sent me a text message. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, wake up with his uh, his notepad from last night. It says, wake up America show with AP for Liberty, seven to nine God's time. That's hilarious. Hold on. I don't know if I can pull this up on the screen or not, but let me see if I can do it without doxing the person who sent it to me because I don't want to show their phone number. Hold on. I can see if I can get it full. There we go. Yes. Hold on. Here we go. Full screen. There it is. Wake up America show with <laughs> whoever sent me that. Rock, look at this. <laughs> I'm in a good mood today. It was exciting to see all these amazing clips of Vivek Ramaswamy last night. Who sent me that? Was that uh Lutrike? No, that was I don't know who it was, but whoever it was, rocks. We appreciate you very much. Do me a favor, click the like button and subscribe to the channel. If you know what's good for you, come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Here we stream the Wake Up America show live. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners who are joining us live here this morning. Are you guys ready to get to the clips, huh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The first one is going to strike you perhaps as a little bit odd if you don't spend a lot of time perpetually online. I would imagine, though, that for people who watch the show, if you're savvy enough to be able to use Rumble and to join us here on this show, you're probably pretty tech savvy. So you might have heard of this thing called the Great Replacement Theory. Are you guys familiar with this? And what the Great Replacement Theory is, of course, depends on who you ask, uh, because everywhere that I look to try and find an official source that's unbiased about the Great Replacement Theory, there just is no such thing. Every single source, and admittedly, we're talking about Wikipedia, CBS, Wall Street Journal, like these are all sort of mainstream news sources that are never going to look at something like this unbiased. But I will simply say that the Great Replacement Theory is the idea that um, the elites are trying to replace white 
Anglos, Europeans at large with immigrant populations, people trying to replace white people like me and you demographically and culturally with people who are not white. This is called the Great Replacement Theory. Uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy brought it up in last night's debate. Let's take a listen. I'm, I was kind of surprised to hear this from Vivek. Take a listen to this. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government oh, lied to us for 20 years. Well, you got to know. You got to know that all the never Trump neocons are listening to that. All the leftists are like, how they're, they are not happy to hear Vivek saying that. But I agree. I don't think 9-11 was an inside job, but I do think January 6th was an inside job. See, I'm not I'm not entirely completely devoid of conspiracy theories. Let's continue. Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11, that the great replacement theory is not some grand right wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech. That the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment (laughs) that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. That's what won't do it. Shut up, bitch. Don't, Don't you interrupt, Vivek. While he's Vivek, don't you woman explain to Vivek Ramaswamy? Good God, there's a lot to unpack in there. But the best reaction from that had to been, thank you, by the way, Joni Rankin, for sending this clip to me. This is Van Wilder, no, (laughs) Van Jones on CNN last night talking about how he was literally shaking hearing Vivek talk about this. In the smug, condescending way that he just spews this poison out is very, (laughs) very dangerous because smug and condescending i mean here's the thing every single attack that's being leveled at vivek ramaswamy are the exact same things that people said against me when i ran for president in 2016. maybe another reason why i like him even more but to see van jones and others attacking him like this it's just mm, so delicious Mm, 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 mm. chef's kiss wait a minute where's my porno queen oh there she is thank you he won't stop trump but he's going to outlive Trump by about 50 years. And you're watching the rise of an American demagogue that is a very, very despicable person. Yeah. And I, I'm, I literally, I, I, was, I was shaking listening to him talk because a lot of people don't know that is one step away from Nazi you're propaganda shaking. coming out of his mouth. But the good That's one step away from Nazi propaganda coming out of his mouth. You know when they're calling you Nazis that you're winning. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up America show. I'm Austin Peterson. Uh, say something about his pimp hand, Austin. Pimp hand strong. How dare you? We're having a great time here on the show, but we can have a better time if we get more friends to come in here and join us. The best way to make that happen, click that like button. And if it's your first time here watching the show, make sure you subscribe to the channel and uh, come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. That's five, and you can text the show at 573-319-1586. One listener just texted into the show a little bit of a spin that was going on last night in the debate. I haven't seen this clip just yet, so listen, I'm going to play it for you raw. We're going in raw. Uh, sorry about this, but uh, <laughs> <we're> just, <laughs> Stephanie's like, yeah. 
All right. I'm not sure what this clip is, but somebody sent it to me, said it was important. Guess what? We're going to watch it together for the first time, and hopefully there's nothing crazy or weird. Here well, we go. Anyway, we have a little clip of some of the, the opening questions to them. Let's watch. We begin with the question of electability. Governor DeSantis, your campaign and its super PAC have spent the most money, had the most high net worth donors, and had a wave of momentum coming into this race after your big re-election win was that? in Florida. Look at face. You were seen by many as the candidate most likely to Looked consolidate like the non-Trump field. But here we are, a month out from the first real votes, and you haven't managed to do it. Dude, so, okay, that's hot mic there, right? So Megyn Kelly and Real Clear News, they were kind of making fun of Ron DeSantis's physical appearance in the post-debate spin room. They didn't know their mics were still on. Here's the thing, even if these are professionals, at least Megyn Kelly is, and in Edge, so they may, it's quite possible that they didn't know their mics were on, but people like that have mic discipline and they know and understand. Like, it's kind of like me here in the studio. Um, you know, I'm not more professional than Megyn Kelly is, right? Here's the thing. We all know that when we're in the studio, anything we say can potentially be recorded or slip out, right? There's microphones everywhere in here. Uh, they may not all be on, but we, you're always disciplined to think that the mic's probably on. They probably said this and meant it, right? So hold on, you can kind of hear the them talking under their breath. Spent the most money, had the most high net worth donors, oh God, and had a wave of momentum coming into this race Look at that after face. your big re-election win in Florida. Look at that face. You were seen by many as the candidate most likely to Look consolidate like the non- Looks like he shot his dog. Ooh. They were apparently not very impressed with Ron DeSantis. He does have, look at his face. He does look like he's very unhappy. in the And that's the thing. I think he is unhappy. I think Ron DeSantis is not enjoying himself. Or while you got Vivek Ramaswamy out there who looks like he's having a hell of a good time. Well, Am Trump, I wrong? It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job, that the Damn. government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11, that the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform, that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election... Okay, pause. So he says 2020 election was stolen by big tech, and probably what he means by that and I'm not, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I just, I have to guess here. But I think what he means by that is that big tech colluded with big government and the deep state uh, in order to prevent Donald Trump from winning the election. For example, the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop theory, because we saw the post-election polling. If people knew that the, the Hunter Biden laptop story was real, then it could have potentially flipped the general election to Donald Trump. That's possibly what Vivek is talking about. Just my guess. Uh, what do you think, though? I'd love to hear your thoughts. 573-319-1586. But this next part here, I think, is really interesting, and we should dissect the it here. The one that Trump won for sure was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment <laughs> okay. that actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. Okay, so... When he talks about the 2016 election being stolen from him, it was because of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that Trump was spending his entire four years having to deal with attacks from the deep state that he was somehow in bed with Russia, uh, and so he wasn't able to get his agenda across. Now, listen, dirty politics is what it is. We should expect these kinds of shenanigans 
and chicanery going on in our electoral system. If you if you think you must be new to politics, if you think that things like that aren't going to happen. However, it's good that he po- points it out and we, we should learn this strategy in order to be able to combat it in the future. I'm really excited to hear from Cliff Maloney this morning. He's going to be joining us here in like six or seven minutes. Uh, because uh, I'm excited to hear what his debate reaction was. I saw Vivek Ramaswamy actually retweeted Cliff Maloney last night. He also retweeted me too twice, uh, but uh, <laughs> which was exciting. Uh, but um, I'm excited to hear what Cliff Maloney has to say this morning about Vivek Ramaswamy. He's a fellow liberty lover, lover, liberty lover, you land lovers, liberty lovers. Slow down, Austin. You'll speak more clearly. Uh, he's a fellow liberty lover, and he'll be joining us this morning in about five minutes. Mickey, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. After you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. And when I said they were bought and paid for, I meant the Republican establishment, not the Democratic establishment. Now you have Reid Hoffman, the person who's effectively George Soros Jr., funding lawsuits across this country against Donald Trump to keep him off the ballot, funding left-wing causes. We discovered this week that he is one of Nikki Haley's largest supporters. Larry Fink, the king of the woke industrial complex, the ESG movement, the CEO of BlackRock, the most powerful company in the world, now supporting Nikki Haley. And to say that doesn't affect her is false, because it's after that meeting later that day that she says that every American needs to be doxxed by having their ID, their government-issued ID, tied to what they say on the Internet. So I think that this is far more... Look at her face. He's slicing and dicing her. He's got the razor blades underneath his tongue, and he whips them out, and he's like... It's so awesome. Give it up for me, Vic. <laughs> Are you entertained? Yeah. Good. Yep. Glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> Wake Up America show is kicking ass and taking names today. We got a lot more great show to go. Coming up next, Cliff Maloney reacts. And that's not even half of all the debate clips that I've got. We've got so much more to go. Camelia Peterson joins us on the show. Daniela Pensack. Oh, it's going to be so damn good. Don't you dare go away. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. She said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris. Nikki is corrupt. Good morning. Austin Peterson here on the Wake Up America show. We're glad to have you here. Don't forget to click like and subscribe the channel. Come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Nikki equals corrupt. I think everybody was wondering, did he actually write that on his notepad? And of course, it's a big meme and everybody's sharing what Vivek is saying on his notepad this morning. But I have to say, if there's any question about who won the debate last night, it's the only Republican presidential candidate to retweet both me and my next guest. That's Cliff Maloney, who's joining us live right now. How you doing, Cliff? I'm doing great. Twitter was alive and well, exploding last night, as you know. It sure certainly was. I feel like libertarians are kind of taking over Twitter these days. Maybe call call me a conspiracy theorist, if you will, but uh, we can definitely chat about that in, in a minute. But Cliff, I'm just dying to hear what you thought about the debate last night. I'm sure you thought Chris Christie just ran away with it. 
You know, it was interesting because I love when these debates get down to four individuals. And the reason is, I think it becomes much more of a, you know, you're not fighting for 15 seconds, right? You get at least a little bit. And in a world of sound bites that unfortunately is what we've become, a two-hour debate, you actually can, can peer into the soul of some of these folks and try to understand what is it that's really going on, right? I mean, Jordan Peterson says that. He's like, let's, let's really dive in here and understand, like, what is going on? And so I thought that, uh, obviously, Vivek, when it comes to some of the key issues, uh, climate change, military-industrial complex, talking about mental health, I think he's hitting a certain chord. He's striking a chord that, that so many, I would say, liberty-minded folks, you know, those are issues they want to scream about. I mean, heck, he even tried to go into the Fed again, and it seemed as if they were kind of, you know, moving away from that. But I think on all those things, you know, it's like libertarian porn. I mean, I think that Vivek is hitting those things from a, I'm going to use the word populist, uh, the Cato Institute might get mad at me for that, but from a position of blue collar liberty, blue collar constitution, I think Vivek is right over the target. Um, I think DeSantis has the same problem. Okay. And that problem is that while we probably agree with him on a lot of issues, and while he probably is America's best governor, he struggles to connect. You just have this guy who's a little quirky, he's a little odd, and it actually kind of kills me a little bit because I like him a lot. You know, I lived in Florida under the COVID tyranny, and it was a great place to be, and I give him a lot of credit. But I think that his, his inability to connect is problematic. And then when you look at Christy and Haley, I mean, I despise Nikki Haley. Um, I, I really went in on her this week because – you really have to understand that, I mean, I don't look at Christie as, as viable, but when this comes down to who is going to be the alternative to Trump, I am totally okay with DeSantis or Ramswamy. I am totally not okay with Nikki Haley. I mean, for all that Liberty folks care about, one thing we can celebrate is the Republican Party's neocon wing has been completely shut out. Well, this is their resurgence, right? So watching Nikki Haley worries the heck out of me because it's like, where does she go? I mean, I disagree with her on every major policy position that matters, right? The key issues that matter. And then Chris Christie, I'll actually give him credit. Uh, people might not believe I'm going to say this because um, I do look at him as, you know, George Bush 2.0 as well. But Chris Christie took a talking point. And if you watch the post game, it was, I mean, horrible. He just kept repeating it. It was almost like Marco Rubio from 2016. I'm a truth teller. I tell the truth. I'm a blunt guy who tells the truth. I get right to the truth. I'm telling the truth. The truth and telling it is what's important. That was his whole talking point. And so in a world of these sound bites, I think it resonates. Um, not with people that are ideologues, but I do think that the 10 to 20% of people that were watching who were kind of just tired of a lot of the noise, he seems rational. And I think he's all in against Trump. That's his whole campaign. I don't think he will win at all. And I actually hope he stays in as long as possible because the second he drops, they ain't going to DeSantis. They're not going to Trump. They're not going to Ramswamy. They will go to Nikki Haley. So, Christy, stay in the race as long as you can. Um, but I think Iowa is going to be where we're going to see who, who outperforms, who underperforms, and, and what do these guys decide to do? This is good stuff. I, I want to branch off into a little little bit of the weeds here on the um, 
activist side of things in order to uh, sort of analyze what's happening for people of our ideological ilk in the Republican Party. If we, you and I, are truly um, uh, at odds with Nikki Haley on all of the major and important issues, then if she is not the candidate and if her uh, ideology's strength is waning in the Republican Party, my argument for that, the reason that's happening, Cliff, would be because so many of the neocons have actually left the Republican Party, the Bill Crystals, the Lincoln Projects, the type of people who would have actually been able to give her, or the Rick Wilsons uh, of the world, the people who would have actually been able to give her enough power to go across the finish line, they left the Republican Party because of Donald Trump, which, coming to my point here, Cliff, shows that the party belongs to those who show up, which is, in my opinion, and you can agree or disagree with this, I'd love to hear your thoughts, in my opinion, is the best argument for why libertarians need to join the GOP, because the more there are of us in the party, the more we water down the potential influence of the neoconservatives in the party. And that's why people like Vivek can have a voice, because there are more people like us who can put wind in his sails. What do you think? I mean, let me go even further. Imagine the debate last night with Al Vivek. I mean, as much as I think Ron DeSantis is not a neocon, and I think he's been incorrectly labeled as kind of this Bushite, um, no, I think, I think Ron, he's a founder of the Freedom Caucus, right? The guy is righteous on a lot of the key issues, but I think he's trying to be everyone. He's trying to be everything to everybody, and that's difficult, right? He is trying to build a coalition, and that is tough. But imagine if Ramswamy's down on the stage. It's just probably DeSantis pushing back a little bit. Chris Christie saying we should have sent twice as many people in on 9-11. And Nikki Haley saying that, you know, we should institute the draft and be in Ukraine and Israel tomorrow. Um, I mean, that would be the conversation. So do we need to show up? Absolutely. Now, what I say it just has to be in the GOP. You know, me and you have done this over the years where it's like, well, maybe there's a battle to be had in the Democrat Party. Maybe there's a battle to be had in the leadership of the Libertarian Party. Um, but I think, yes, we sh should find the vehicle that best gets our message out there. Last night, millions of people watched Vivek Ramaswamy call, <laughs> call Mickey Ailey. Dick Cheney with lipstick on still is a fascist. Like that to me, I don't care who you are. Like that audience, yes, he showed up. And because he showed up, people have to think about these things. Oh, yeah. You know what? These are the types of folks who lied to us about weapons of mass destruction. These are the folks who now put us $7 trillion in debt. These are the folks that put us in a 20-year undefeated, meaning we've never won, so I should say undefeated for the Middle Easterns, but it's like Middle Easterns, but it's like that's the reality. And sometimes we forget that. 20 years, $7 trillion, hundreds of thousands of troops coming back now suffering. And obviously those that have passed in this war, it's almost so like even me as a hardcore non-interventionist to hear somebody say it, it jolts you a little bit. So yes, showing up is extremely important so that people get a chance to hear the message. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad and thankful to have you here. Nice big audience today. We appreciate you. Do me a favor and click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us here on the show every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. We stream the show and we fight for economic freedom and personal liberty. My current guest is Cliff Maloney. He is a former Ron Paul and Rand Paul staffer. He's He's uh, working on an initiative in Pennsylvania, which I'd love to have him uh, tell you a little bit more about here in just a few minutes. Right now, we're breaking down the GOP debate last night. 
In terms of the uh, ideology of Vivek Ramaswamy, I think he is the most libertarian uh, on the stage. But I don't want to be accused of having rose-colored glasses, Cliff. I want you to sort of tell it to me straight. Am, am I uh, confirming my own bias here, biases here when I say that I think that Vivek's rhetoric is actually more in line or closer to where the base of the Republican Party is at these days? And if so, does that mean that the base of the GOP has a very strong libertarian streak that's more represented by Vivek Ramaswamy and perhaps even tangentially Donald Trump? And this is why I think you're going to see results that I would say that Ramaswamy will overperform uh, in states like Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, because I do think in those debate rooms, look, I've been to these debates, right? They invite the donor class. That's who's there. The campaigns are given, you know, 50 tickets each. Obviously, you could hear last night, Nikki Haley looks like she was given about five times the amount of tickets as the others, but they give them to their donors, right? It's the donor class in the room, the blue collar, hardworking class of people that are going to be the vast majority of voters in the Republican Party. Absolutely, do they align more with the vague. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to, you know, destroy them. I mean, Trump is going to win. He'll win, I think, every single state. But what will be interesting to see is, you know, who's able to win the support from these other folks. And this is what I have to say, you know, about your question, Austin, is I don't necessarily think he's some hardcore libertarian. I think Vivek just represents the Republican platform. The problem is so many of these neocons and these what I'll call just fake Republicans, they don't represent the Republican platform. Right. You know this. We know this. We've seen Republicans run for years on lower taxes, cutting spending. They get in to do the opposite. But what I always look for are the things that I think they'll actually be able to do when they're in office. I mean, Vivek's calling for cutting, what, 50, 75 percent of the federal bureaucracy. That is not, as Ron Paul would say, you know, I don't want to tinker with the edges. I want to abolish the whole entire damn uh, IRS and replace it with nothing. Right. You need that type of bold leadership because Trump talked about draining the swamp, but he learned. And I believe this. I believe he did want to get rid of a lot of the corruption within the federal bureaucracy. But as we saw, he wasn't able to do a lot of it. The vague by being so bold and saying he wants to cut so much of this federal workforce. OK, let's say he ends up at 30 percent. That will be a libertarian utopia when it comes to actual policies that happen. So the guy's right on the Fed. So all the monetary policy stuff, he's spot on. He's right on war. We don't want any more of our young men and women dying. We've got to rethink our foreign policy and be rational and sober. He's right on this mental health stuff. I think that is a much bigger deal. So many people that, you know, I come from a, a community outside of Philadelphia, whether it's drugs, mental health, nobody's really tackling it. And so to have somebody that could lead the free world dive in on that, he's right there. So I think on a lot of these core issues, I don't see how you wouldn't call him one of the most pro-liberty candidates we've had in a while. And I think he deserves some credit for that rather than looking at the one or two things that, you know, we might disagree with him on. So Trump wins every state. I agree. Um, Ron DeSantis supporters at this point seem to be living in a dream world. I, I, I like Ron DeSantis, just like you said, he's the only candidate who said Calvin Coolidge was his inspiration last night, which I was like, okay, finally, here, here here's the <laughs> right, Ron DeSantis right. I want to hear. You know, this is this is my guy here to to this extent. 
I just think that he wasn't ready for prime time. He's he's awkward up there on stage and Donald Trump outshines him. Some of the things, my criticisms of Ron DeSantis are cosmetic rather than policy, but there have been some authoritarian things that Ron DeSantis has done that have not sat well with me. And in, in my analysis is just at the end of the day, we're really, if we're competing for second place, which is what you seem to be you know, stating here today, tell me if I'm wrong, then let's just support the most liberty of all of the candidates for the second place. Because my hope is that Vivek goes on and has an exciting career, maybe runs for Congress in Ohio, or perhaps even gets a cabinet pick in the Trump administration. So I guess my question is, do you think it's worth supporting him for second place? Uh, do you think he has a chance at VP? And do you think Donald Trump has a chance to win next year? That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> Let me break it down. So one, uh, I do need to correct the record on my end so it doesn't come back to bite me. I don't think Donald Trump will win every state. I think he'll win every state except D.C. Um, I want to be clear about that. D.C.'s Republican Party will not uh, vote for Donald Trump. And I think that says a lot. Uh, I think it is a race for second place. I think there's a wager going on. And that wager is what if? Right. What if Trump cannot be the nominee or decides, you know, due to some legal situation, he's not going to be the nominee? That's debate here. Right. It's the it's the what if of if he is not able to take the nomination, who fills his place? Right. And so I look at that and I say, well, you know, I, I understand that the kind of DeSantis has been bumping along trying to be that person. Um, but I at this point, I don't really see the path for that. Right. Even if he's convicted, he's going to run. I mean, I, I, does anybody not believe that? Right. So what's the path? I mean, it's, he's, he's either got to be dead or something. Um, but I do think it's a pretty ironic thing. But it's like you have one party where the guy might not make it due to health reasons. I'm talking about Biden. And the other guy might not make it due to legal reasons. So this is probably one of the most uncertain times in electoral history uh, for us to figure out where we're going to be just you know, nine, 10 months from now, um, or I guess, yeah, almost a year from now. So do I think we should throw our support behind Vivek? I think that people should continue to elevate those that they agree with. Um, I think it takes a lot of organization in places like Iowa, New Hampshire. I mean, in Iowa, I've been there, these 1500 precincts, so you're going to have to try to you know work and manage and recruit and organize. It's difficult. Uh, I think Vivek is going to do something that Trump has shown us before. And it just matters at what level, which is he's going to turn out new voters. There is a sector of people who come out for somebody like Vivek, who has those liberty principles, who has those non-intervention principles. You know, call it the Pat Buchanan wing or the Ron Paul wing of the, the specifically the Republican conservative party. Right. These anti-war folks that they're not motivated until somebody really speaks out. But are they two percent or are they 15 percent? And so I think there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. Uh, I think Chris Christie will have abysmal support. I will go to bank the bank on that. But I'm interested to see if DeSantis really starts to fall, do those people jump to Haley? That's what worries me, right, is if he continues to decline, are they going to be Nikki Haley supporters? Um, but once again, I mean, I think the longer these folks stay in, the more Trump becomes inevitable. And they're banking on some weird scenario where he's not, you know, not supposed to be around. I think Vivek would be an amazing VP choice. Um, I think he has uh, clearly been able to step out and be the guy. Uh, he's a great communicator. He's young. He's a minority. Um, 
I think this idea that it has to be a woman or it has to be some Republican governor is just a bunch of hogwash. I, I don't I don't believe that for a second. It's 2023. It'll be 2024. Uh, people want something fresh and new. If they could elect Mike Pence as VP, I think Vivek is a much stronger pick. Your final question, uh, can Trump win? If it is Trump versus Biden, I will predict today that I do believe, and I wouldn't have said this a year ago, but based on polling, based on momentum, based on message, I think the Republicans win the White House. I think he pulls it off. The abortion issue is going to be a big one. The Democrats are already all in, and the Republicans are going to have to figure out how do they message back to that. But everything else, and I mean almost everything else, the border, the economy, talking about these wars, the vast majority of, Republic, of Americans, and especially independents and swing voters, are going to be agreeing with those Republican positions on those key issues. That's just Great. my prediction. Great stuff. I'm the, same, I'm, I'm the same boat. I think a year ago, it was untenable to believe that Trump could win uh, if he was the nominee again. And I think a lot has changed. I completely agree with your analysis. I want to say thank you to Studio 314, who dropped $5 in the tip jar and said, always love seeing Cliff on the show. Have a great day, Cliff. Cliff, tell us very briefly before we let you go what you're doing in Pennsylvania and anything else that you'd like our listeners to know before we let you go. Sure. Uh, so in Pennsylvania, you know, we run a group, Citizens Alliance, and uh, what we've launched is something called the Pennsylvania Chase. The Republican Party has failed us both at the national and state level. And so we have all these liberty candidates running and the Democrats crush us on mail-in uh, voting 80% to 20% since they've installed this in 2020. CliffMaloney.com slash Chase. Check it out. We're going to be sending tons of Liberty Warriors into the state, knocking on 500,000 doors. CliffMaloney.com slash Chase. Would love your support. We're stepping up because the Republican leadership has failed us. Cliff, thanks for getting up so early and being so generous with your time today. We appreciate what you do for us and what you do for the cause of Liberty. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Austin. See y'all. She said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Damn. Oh, damn. Having two X chromosomes does not make you immune to criticism. Good God. Oh, jeez, this is good stuff. This is such good stuff. Matt Unruh doesn't want to go to his work meeting. I don't blame no, you. I wouldn't either. No, Maybe you can God, stay here covertly. Please, no, yes, you, no, get, you need one of those no. Apple iPods, you know, no. and just paint it flesh colored. You know, somebody needs to invent those. The uh, the earphones that are flesh colored that are remote. They probably have those, right? Every time I come up with an idea, somebody else takes it. Uh, anyways, take it and make it. There you go. Matt Unruh, we're glad to have you here. If you haven't clicked the like button and the subscribe, what have I done to offend you? Why not? Yeah, it's like a hearing aid, essentially. Yeah, right. But it would be like it would be like, like a monitor here. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie's here in the chat. We appreciate Stephanie for showing up today, giving us Internet. I know it's not the best Internet that we could possibly have. 
but the internet it is the internet that we have so it's the internet we will work with some people say that the video freezes a little bit that uh, but the audio is fine so if for some reason you're watching it and it's driving you crazy but you can still hear it fine then i would just suggest that you just listen uh right and also at wakeupamericashow.com on our website there is the audio stream there and i'm told by brandon meyer our crab fisherman buddy that the audio there is nice and clean and pretty. So if you really just want to listen to it, you can also do that there at wakeupamericashow.com. Um, I love this moment as well from the debate last night. Vivek had all the best moments. At home to note that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And there's her puppet masters right there. The donors, the donors right there that are playing like the puppet okay, masters. Enough, hold on, hold on. Jesus. Oh my God. I have not, I have not seen someone murder someone in a presidential debate like that since Austin Peterson and Gary Johnson in 2016. <laughs> oh my God, Vivek, he just, here's the thing, he just, he comes in, he stabs them with the knife, and then he twists it, and then he digs it, and then he jiggles it around a little bit, and then he starts, then he pulls out a hatchet, and he's chopping, and he's chopping, and he's chopping, and then he starts taking a bite, and he's just like, and he's like an attack, he's like a pit bull, right, but not like one of those crappy ones that you get from like Westview, where they, where they attack you, only like a, a properly trained pit bull, who actually listens to her masters, which is like one out of one million pit bulls because they're a breed that shouldn't exist. Just kidding. Uh, if you're enjoying the Wake Up America show, why haven't you clicked like or subscribe or send us a text message? You can text the show anytime, night or day. Five seven three. I just lost half my audience there with the pit bull hate. Five seven three three one nine one five eight six is the text line. Again, you can text the show anytime, night or day at uh at uh 573-319-1586 uh, nice moment from ron desantis last night let's take a listen oh that's the wrong clip where the hell is ron desantis what the heck i had the ron desantis clip oh here we go uh, reagan washington lincoln excellent uh one of the guys i'll take inspiration from is calvin coolidge now, people don't talk about him a lot yes. He's one of the few presidents that got almost everything right. He understood the proper role of the federal government under the Constitution. We need to restore the U.S. Constitution as the centerpiece of our national life. And that requires a president who understands the original understanding of the Constitution, who has a good sense of the Bill of Rights, and who knows how we've gone off track with this massive fourth branch of government uh, this administrative state, which is imposing its will on us and is being weaponized against us. So Silent Cal knew the proper role of the federal government. The country was in great shape when, when he was president of the United States. And we can earn, earn, learn an awful lot from Calvin Coolidge. There you go. You know what it is? Somebody told Ron DeSantis, his handlers were like, you're losing the Austin Peterson support. 
you need to come out in favor of Calvin Coolidge because Austin has been beating you up online the last few weeks. And so DeSantis's team got the memo and said, hey, we need to shore up the Austin Peterson wing of the Republican Party, right? <laughs> Don't give yourself too much credit, AP. But I will give myself a lot of credit in having the absolute best uh, in libertarian merchandise in the entire country. APforLibertyShop.com has got awesome Keep Cool with Coolidge merchandise, including this really cool Camelback water bottle that you can grab over there. It says Keep Cool with Coolidge for President. Steffi designed it, uh, and I slapped it on the water bottle, which you can get at APforLibertyShop.com. Not only do we have cool water bottles like that, but do yourself a favor, not just me, and go to our website and just type in Coolidge and see what happens. If you go in the search bar, you type in Coolidge, look at all the awesome Calvin Coolidge merchandise. We've got a Keep Cool with Coolidge whiskey glass, uh, Coolidge teas. We've got somebody actually bought our awesome legal robbery quote for the uh, with the synthwave style of the painting for the wall. We've also got Coolidge's My Homeboy hoodies, Coolidge ceramic mugs. Um, and somebody asked for it in an infant size, so you can get a Coolidge is my homeboy for your for your kid for your kiddo, uh, and of course Stephanie, my lovely wife, and I uh, wrote the Coolidge book, the Coolidge children's book, which you can get autographed. Calvin, the coolest president book by Austin and Steffi Peterson, and remember that price that you're seeing right there is delivered to your front door because shipping in the United States is free. Can I get an amen for that? So there you go. So if you're a Calvin Coolidge fan, check out AP4LibertyShop.com. And of course, don't forget, we have new All-American Custom Metal Signs. And FYI, we're having a, a giveaway this week. We're going to give away a free custom metal sign. And here's how you can enter to win. All you have to do is go to the website and go to one of the custom signs and design your own custom sign. Send us a screenshot to my Twitter uh, at Twitter. Um, I'm AP for Liberty on Twitter. You come over here, see where it says personalize. So you click here. So say we want to make this design right in black. Um, and then we want it to be in 12 inches. And then the name, what, what name we'd like to put on there, we could do wake up America. Uh, and there's your custom metal sign. Then take a screenshot of it for me right there. Right there. So now I have a screenshot of it. And then to tweet that at me at AP for Liberty. Um, and, uh, you will be, uh, you will be entered to win a free custom sign from our shop. So head over to APforLibertyShop.com today, get yourself some Calvin Coolidge merchandise, design your own sign, tweet it at me at AP for Liberty, and you will be entered to win. And we will do that giveaway for this, uh, the, the, excuse me, the prize entries end on Saturday, but we'll announce the winner on Monday. So head over to our website, APforLibertyShop.com, design your own custom sign, Grab some Coolidge merch and some Founding Flavors coffee. And Camellia is pinging me saying, you haven't pinged me yet, have you? No, I have not pinged you. Sorry, Camellia. I've been running a little bit late on the commercials. I am going to come get Camellia. And we're going to have her talk about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Apparently flew on Epstein's plane twice on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. You weren't ever on Jeffrey Epstein's jet, were you? Yeah, I was on Jeffrey Epstein's jet two times. I was on it uh, in 1993, and I was on it in, and I went to Florida with my wife and uh, two children to visit my mom over Easter. Um, my my wife had some kind of relationship with Glenn Maxwell, and 
they offered us a ride to Palm Beach. So I went then, and then on another occasion, I flew again with my family, with I think four of my children, and um, and uh, and Mary, my wife, to Rapid City, South Dakota, to go fossil hunting for a weekend, and. Uh, but other, otherwise, I was I was never on his jet alone. I you know I've been very open about this from the beginning. This was in '93, so it was 30 years ago. It was before anybody knew about Jeffrey Epstein's uh, you know his nefarious issues. And I agree with you that these all of this information should be released. Um, and it would- mm, sounds sus. Good morning, I'm off. Peterson, you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. That was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. defending his uh, his um, riding on Jeffrey Epstein's plane twice, very carefully saying that he was with his family both times and that he had no idea what was going on. For some reason, I don't believe him. But you know what? I'm not here to confirm my own biases when I have guests that can come in and do it for me. Joining us live right now, the lovely Camille Peterson, who is <laughs> <laughs> joining us like nice beautiful background hi cj thank you it's beginning to look a lot like christmas or winter or something <laughs> for sure for sure uh real briefly for um some of our listeners like injum 77 this morning say why does the screen always freeze it's hard to watch fyi we are having a little bit of internet challenges this morning in the studio we're like have to be on a wi-fi router because our broadband is down so if the screen is freezing but you can hear us well I would suggest that you just listen to the show rather than try and watch it. And I apologize for that. We'll do our best to try and get the internet working by tomorrow morning. Um, so please don't blame Rumble. It is our fault today. It does. I know Rumble sometimes have problems, but that is our issue. So anyways, uh, Camelia, the clip that I just played showed RFK Jr. being very careful in explaining his relationship. But when he talked about the relationship that his wife had with Ghislaine Maxwell, he was kind of, he kind of brushed that under the rug pretty quickly. Did you notice that? Right. And he, and I think it, he phrased it in such a way as like she had some kind of relationship with Ghislaine Maxwell. Like, I, I don't know what that means, you know, and maybe he, you know, maybe he didn't know everything that his wife did or didn't do or anything about her friends. It, it's kind of, it's a different class of people. You know what I'm saying? And I think in in that sense that sometimes relationships are different and when you're in those circles. So is it possible that it was just, you know, they happen to know these people and because they run in the same circles and they said, hey, would you like to use our plane? You know, I have friends that do that all the time. Like, hey, Camille, you want to use my plane? Hop on down to, you know, Florida, whatever. <laughs> same here, actually, except it's, except that actually did happen to me, but only once. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure that people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the actual elites uh, get that uh, get that all the time. Um, but when he says he had that his wife had some kind of relationship, he's insinuating there that he doesn't know what kind of relationship that his wife had with Ghislaine Maxwell. Right. Seems kind of sus. Um, but I will say, you know, RFK has, I mean, he's also kind of been the black sheep of the family. So maybe he's, I don't know, you know, maybe he does have a little bit of uh, outsider cred when it comes to those circles of people. He did point out, notice he did point out that this is back in 1993 when he said that was 30 years ago. I was like, oh my gosh, really? (laughs) 
Um, that's a long time. But, you know, so it, there's a lot of things that weren't known by then. And I, I, I guess I would take him at his word for now and that he really didn't know um, or maybe he didn't have any inclination that this stuff was going on with Epstein. It's hard to say, um, but I, I'd say it, it is probably kind of believable. He says Mary knew Epstein's girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, who learned that they were going to Palm Beach for Easter and offered the family a ride. There have been connections between Maxwell and the Kennedy family going back decades. And so Ghislaine Maxwell, for those who might know, she's a UK-born socialite. She was even a guest at the wedding of future New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Carrie Kennedy, RFK Jr.'s sister in 1990. What this really just goes to show is how incestuous the relationship between our elites are. I mean, it's not like For sure. there's, it's, it's not like there's millions and millions of billionaires and, and powerful people. I mean, there's probably there's really only just maybe thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands of actual elites in this country. And they all know each other and they all hang out. And they all help each other out, don't they? Absolutely. This is something, by the way, that I was thinking about just last night. And it like the further you get into the political realm, the more you realize how small that circle actually is. Uh, is it doesn't seem that way, but the more you get into it and the more people you know, and it's not like I know a ton of people, but it's, you know, the there's it's a whole lot easier to connect with people that you would not have ever thought previously possible because that circle is relatively small. And I'm sure, sure. and obviously even smaller in their case. Well, how much uh, support do you think RFK Jr. is getting at this moment? Do you think that it's realistic to see that he might be getting double digits in a national election? I mean, he does have to get on the ballot in some of these states. I think people don't really recognize that, of course. I don't know if it's just me, but does it seem like he's kind of been fading back from the limelight and he really made the splash there for a while, but it does seem like since he went independent that people are just not paying as much attention anymore. I think when he was, I think when he was running as a Democrat, part of his appeal was this exciting possibility that he could upend things and take Joe Biden out, you know, in a primary. Um, and then, you know, there was the anticipation of, well, maybe he'll do something else, whether it's libertarian. And so I think that anticipation and the unknown factor was probably feeding into a lot of the hype about him. And so I just have a feeling that we he's just kind of, this could kind of fade away and he probably won't uh, pull nearly the votes that we we initially thought. Yeah, I agree. I think that it was it was a flash in the pan, but it's unlikely. Once somebody starts to lose momentum in a presidential race, I I don't see a situation where they can really work themselves back from that. But of course, the election is a year away and a lot can happen and the candidates for the parties aren't set in stone per se. They're more like, you know, written on parchment and parchment can be torn <laughs> up and thrown away. Uh, we'll see, True. however, uh, for our listeners who are just tuning in this morning. Good morning. We're glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for being patient through some of our Internet tech issues this morning. We appreciate that you're still sticking around with us. If you'd like, you can send us a text on the show at 573-319-1586. Uh, and we'd love to earn your like and subscribe here on the Rumble channel. We appreciate Rumble for being such a big supportive, um, uh, being so supportive of the Wake Up America show. So please show your support for us and for Rumble by clicking like and subscribing to the channel. And I imagine our internet problems should hopefully be solved by tomorrow morning. 
and my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie, will be joining us on, on set in studio. She's on set here with me now, but she's not quote unquote in studio because she had to run here to get the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so thank you to Steffi for that. Uh, Camelia, the next um, thing that I have here to talk to you about on this uh, list, did you happen, did you get enough chance, did you get enough time to read this next story about... Uh, I did. You're being a baby. This 41-year-old man <laughs> has no job, no savings, and relies on his parents for rent, but refuses to work jobs that are beneath him. Um, this reminds me of this movie that came out with Matthew McConaughey like 10 years ago called Failure to Launch about a 35-year-old guy who lived on his parents' couch and played video games all day and never was serious. And then the woman comes in and whips him into shape. Sarah Jessica, I know you haven't seen it because you're a pop culture... <laughs> What do, what would we call you? We call you an, a, an atheist, a pop culture atheist. In, in oh sense? gosh, maybe so. Non-believer. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you can give us your take on Taylor Swift appearing on the the cover of Time magazine. She's in good company with Adolf Hitler. Um, I, oh Lord, <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry, but like more power to Taylor Swift because yes. she has worked her way to where she is. And nobody can deny that. And it doesn't matter if you like her music or not. And she owns it. And like, I love that she chose to have her cat on the cover with her. Like, you do what you want, baby. Who cares? <laughs> See, it reminds me of that meme that I posted a few weeks ago on Instagram, where it was like all these girls who were like, uh, who are looking at um, billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, and they're like, boo, tax the rich, ooh. And then they saw that Taylor Swift becomes a billionaire, and they're like, yes, queen, slay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, anyways, so men failing to launch, not getting married. Um, do we need to, har to trad con the men, uh, harass them and force them to stop living with their parents? I mean, back in the day, you know, hundreds of years ago, we all lived together as communal family members and things like that. So what's wrong with it now? <laughs> okay, so okay, so this is true in one sense, uh, although I think it was more common for the the girls or the ladies to stay at home than it was for the men necessarily. I'm not sure that that was quite the norm. Um, but I do think that, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a stigma on that, that we need, we can put away, but I read things like this and I can't help but think, Lord, I hope this is like the exception, not the rule. <laughs> right? Tell me this is an anomaly and this is something that's just getting uh, attention because it's so kind of outrageous. But I know that the job market is so bad right now. You can't, you know, you can't find people to flip burgers for $15, $16 an hour. Um, on the upside, um, you know, that means that you can go get a job just about anywhere. Like there's no excuse not to have a job. And I think that's part of the problem he was talking about. So supposedly he had an ad agency apartment burned down, had no insurance. So he moves back in with mom and dad and he's got some side gigs and odd jobs, you know, that he thinks are still in his skill set, but it's not enough to cover his rent. So, you know, uh, but he won't take a job that is uh, beneath him. And I think therein lies the problem is that we're probably getting to a point where we have an overeducated populace and there are not enough jobs for them. And they're going to figure out here pretty quick that you can't survive if you're not willing to hustle and you are going to have to hustle and do things that maybe you wouldn't normally want to do in order to make work. Good to know. Hey, Camelia, 
Uh, everybody's talking about the debates from last night. Is there anything that you would like to contribute? Uh, thoughts on how things went last <laughs> night? So I did have a few thoughts. My first thought, I, like I caught the last hour of it or so. My first thought was like, how is Chris Christie still on the stage? (laughs) I don't even know how that, how did he qualify? I really honestly didn't realize he was going to be in the debate. I was surprised to see him there. So, you know, whatever, Chris Christie is Chris Christie. Um, But I do think, you know, obviously Vivek is good in debate style and that was entertaining to say the least. Um, One fascinating thing uh, that DeSantis said that, really caught my attention because you hear some people, this is an issue we've talked about a little bit before, but it's like this idea of using the existing election laws that we don't like to our advantage. So when he talked about using all of those avenues to get votes, whether it's ballot harvesting or, you know, what, or, you know, whatever it is, like fully taking advantage of that, I was like, I'm not sure if I've heard any of the other candidates really explicitly say that. So interesting that he talked about that. Um, I will say that, you know, one thing that has kind of been a recurring theme, I get these recurring themes in my life. And one thing that's been a recurring theme lately has this been I, this idea that we get the government that we deserve. And I always think of Henry David Thoreau whenever he said um, that his preference is, you know, like the government is best that governs not at all. Um, and when men are prepared for it, that will be the kind of government that they will have. And it is just like over and over again, I've been you know, hearing people say this, um, this idea that we get the government we deserve. And so much of what you hear, especially on the right right now is griping about how it's everybody else's fault. It's the deep state, it's this, it's that, you know, it's out. I mean, okay, but you can either choose to complain about it and criticize people who are working on it, or you can choose to be part of the solution Uh, even if you think that solution is not perfect. So it's better to do something. And we, I think it's time to take responsibility for it. I mean, with liberty comes responsibility. And if we're going to sit back and armchair quarterback things and complain about them, but not actually take responsibility for talking to our friends and neighbors and persuading people and getting out and doing the work, then you get what you deserve. (laughs) I love to see it. Uh, Camelia Peterson, anything else you want to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Well, just one little thing. Um, so I do have to decide now, by the way, I have to, to investigate whether or not my daughters are fully anti-Semitic. I like, I don't, I don't know who knew, what? like apparently, apparently TikTok does this to you for like every 30 minutes that you watch, you're 17% more anti-Semitic. Like, did you know this? <laughs> no, I did so not know this. The thing is, like, I, I can tell you that, uh, well, you know, you can look it up. Uh, I, I learned that last night during the debate. Uh, oh, yeah. But <laughs> I, uh, so what I, what I can tell you is that my older daughter showed me how that she learned on TikTok that she can uh, break an apple in half with her bare hands. And I thought, like, you know. The internet is great. Camelia Peterson, she joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the show. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. We appreciate you, Camelia. Have a great day, everyone. Have Have a great day. What did you guys think of Camelia Peterson? Give her a round of applause. Click like and subscribe. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal and get the hell out of this place.
Daniela Pensack is going to be joining us here in a little less than 10 minutes. Exciting stuff. We're looking forward to hearing from her. She wants to comment on California Governor Gavin Newsom canceling public Christmas tree lightings amid planned pro-Palestinian protests. We call this the heckler's veto. A heckler's veto means that someone, by being loud, by being obnoxious, by putting themselves in between a public speaker or an event and the people who want to participate in the event or want to hear, they can effectively veto out the person from being heard, and that's called a heckler's veto. That appears to be what's going on around the country. Not only is this happening in California, but I saw Virginia, for example, canceled a public menorah lighting because of fears of pro-Gaza protests that might happen. It just goes to show that free speech is something that must always be protected in the United States. It's not a guarantee. Just because we have a First Amendment doesn't mean that the First Amendment is going to be respected by our government leaders. I'm looking forward to hearing from Daniela Pensack about that in a little less than 10 minutes. Make sure that you click like and subscribe to the channel. P Ridge 62 says that the internet is not doing well. Sorry about that. That is partially our fault, although it is in the green right now. While we're speaking, it does dip into the red. So I'm sorry for the internet connections, although we do have Stephanie to thank, my lovely smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife. We, we have her to thank for the show happening at all, because without her, we definitely would not be able to even have the audio as we have it. So thank you to Stephanie. Click like and subscribe for Steffi P. She'll be joining us here on the show tomorrow for Freedom Family Friday, which we're all looking forward to. Anyways, I just really like that Vivek's uh, segment where he talks about telling uh, Chris Christie to go have a meal. Get off the stage, go have a meal. What do you think that he's going to eat? Jimmy John's? Blimpies? Subway? Mm, Chinese buffet? What's, what, what is Chris Christie's favorite meal, would you say? A succulent Chinese meal? Gentleman. Yeah, he probably eats the bags of chips late at night. He sneaks food. He just sneaks food. He, the, the, okay, yes. This is democracy manifest. Gentlemen, why are you arresting me for eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? Do you guys know what I'm talking about there? Hold on. Here's, here's the clip. There's Chris Christie. He's getting thrown out of a Chinese restaurant for dining and dashing. Could you just assured me that I could speak? Sit down inside the car. We're not assuring anything. We're under arrest. Look, I'm under what? Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Have a look at the headlock here. See that chap over there? Get your hand off my penis! This is the bike who got me on the penis before. Get some cups. Why did you do this? Get some cups. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? Oh, that's a nice headlock, sir. Oh, ah, yes. I see that you know your judo well. Good one. And you, sir, are you waiting to receive my limp penis? How dare you get your hands on me? Ta-da! And farewell. No, oops, where's the laughter track? There we go.
Are you waiting to receive my limp penis? Uh, yes. Um, uh, Donovan says, Austin, if you turn off the animated background and make it a static image, you'll reduce your bandwidth. Thank you for letting me know that. I tell you what, I'm going to do that right now. Turning off the backgrounds on the show so that we do not have all of those, all of the bandwidth. Thank you for that tip, by the way. appreciate that. Where last Christmas I gave you my heart, the very next day you gave it away. This year to save you from tears, give it to somebody special. Last Christmas, there it is. I gave you my heart, the very next day you gave it away. This year to save me from tears, give it to somebody special. Uh, thank you to that, Donovan. I appreciate that. You rock. And it's your first time here, I think. Thanks for the tip. We'll turn those ba those backgrounds back on once we have the um, internet working completely. So thank you very much for that. Well, I guess we've got, uh, oh, a succulent Chinese meal. Studio 314, good stuff. Very funny. Daniela Pensack is going to be joining us coming up next to talk about the heckler's veto. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and thankful to have you here. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us here on the show every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. We stream Central Time here, but my next guest lives on the West Coast. She'd say it's the best coast. I might disagree. We'll hear from her, though, here in just a moment. Daniela Pensack is our regular guest every Thursday at 8 a.m. Central Time, and we haven't seen her in a couple of weeks, so we'll be glad to welcome her back live now. Good morning, Daniela. How are you? Good morning, Austin. I'm really happy to be back on Thursday Thursdays and make an appearance once again, so I'm excited to talk about this next story. Glad to have you here, Daniela. Thanks very much for that. Um, Daniela, I'm reading the news. You sent me the story about Gavin Newsom canceling a public Christmas tree lighting. This is the second big story that I've seen in this one, where last week, a Hanukkah candle lighting ceremony in Virginia was also canceled over the tensions between Israel and Gaza. Apparently, there's a heckler's veto in this country. You want to share with us the story? Yeah, apparently. You know what? At least the Hanukkah one makes sense because the, I, I didn't understand the connection between trying to cancel Christmas and trying to tag Jewishness. But this uh, this next story, at least of what happened in California and the story that I brought up is that the tree lighting ceremony that happens annually um, has been canceled. And Gavin Newsom decided to do it virtually because of pro-Palestinian protesters. They were threatening to attend. They were threatening Gavin Newsom himself as well. And so the California Highway Patrol has completely barricaded the area and the state capital um, where the tree is located so no one can go in or out. Um, and so, yeah, they're trying to cancel Christmas, apparently. This also has been happening nationally. Um, I know that the say a similar uh, Christmas tree lighting ceremonies have been canceled in other states, such as New York, Massachusetts, and Michigan. And um, and uh, like you mentioned, it's happening uh, with the town of celebrations as well. Um, so it's really concerning what's happening. Obviously, it's concerning to see governors are just um, kowtowing to these kind of people um, and just uh, th this. These are the liberal chickens coming home to roost. This is what happens when you always listen to these kind of people and let them dictate what you can or cannot celebrate. Obviously, an attack on free speech as well. Good stuff, uh, Danielle, and I agree completely. But. There's there's a visceral feeling that I get when I hear stories like this. It makes me 
outrage, right? I, there's not a lot that offends me other than communism, statism, and socialism, but this is pure totalitarianism. This is a betrayal of our most basic values as Americans of freedom of religion, is it not? Of course it is. Um, yeah, and it, they, it's a complete, not only is it a complete attack, it's a complete attack on the First Amendment, completely um, full stop. And I believe that the First Amendment obviously is, I think, I think it's my I think it's my favorite amendment. I think it's obviously a lot of people's favorite amendment. You know, it's one that we should protect. We should still observe culturally, um, not only legally. And so if it does crumble culturally and we see these governors, I mean, governors are supposed to be the leaders of the state. They're supposed to be the people that we look up to. So we do see them, um, you know, capitulate to these demands. These people aren't even lawmakers. They're just protesters. If we see this continually occur culturally, we're going to see a crumble on the legal aspect as well, on the legal side, um, if not directly, at least subtly. So uh, we should really be aware of this happening and take a stand against it. I'm glad that, you know, obviously not the majority of states are capitulating to this, but, um, you know, the more this occurs, the more this danger is going to, the more we're going to see the danger of this happen. California Governor Gavin Newsom will be conducting their Christmas tree lighting at their state capitol virtually because of the threats from the pro-Palestinian protesters. Do you think that there's a political angle in this that they, that, you know, the possibility is, is he doesn't want to offend some of these people? Or do you think, you know, it's only about his safety? What do you think? Oh, this is what I said. This is what I mean when I said the liberal chickens are coming home to roost. Um, perhaps it wasn't clear, but yes, I, I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but I do think there is somewhat of a political angle as well. Um, also, if you noticed, uh, the states that have been canceling Christmas tree lighting ceremonies are tend to be a little bit more liberal. You see New York, you see Massachusetts, California. So I am not surprised that they are utilizing this to, I'm not going to say directly attack Christmas, but kind of just like, you know, put it under the rug, try to make a more secular society. Um, I, you know, I, I think that makes complete sense. I think that it is their taking an opportunistic um, stride in this. And so I'm not, well, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is what these governors are doing whatsoever, unfortunately. But that, but, you know, we've been seeing this attack on Christmas for years now. It has been on the forefront of the cultural discourse. So I wouldn't be surprised. For sure. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to Daniela Pensack. She is a field coordinator for Turning Point USA, and she joins us here live on the show every Thursday at 8 a.m. Central Time. Click like and subscribe. If you're enjoying her content, make sure that you set a calendar appointment on your Google Calendar or whatever digital calendar that you use to say, I'd like to hear from Daniela again. So make sure you set that calendar appointment for Thursdays at 8 a.m. Central Time, because then you can hear from her and, of course, follow her over on Twitter slash X at Pensack Daniela. That's her username over there. Danielle, you've got another story that you shared with us last night about a documentary on Netflix. Um, uh, this is the headline from The Federalist. Netflix's ahistorical Ibram X. Kendi documentary is more racist and radical than you can imagine. What's the story here? 
Yes, Netflix has graced us once again with another wonderful film documentary. Um, it's called Stamp from the Beginning, and it is based on a book of the same name written by Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, for those of you that un are unaware, he is a race activist. He's a professor, very liberal. Um, I'm sure you can get the picture there uh, if you just look up his Wikipedia page. But um, what the book and the documentary is about is uh, discussing um, anti-Blackness for the last six centuries and how you know racism has been uh, cultivated in the, in the Occidental West. And so um, this is what this documentary is mainly about. It's talking about anti-Blackness and how whites are terrible, terrible people. And as a monolith block, uh, whites are horrible. And so um, obviously this is a, before I even get into what, it's, uh, what the segments are about, um, I just wanna say this is a historical revisionist propaganda film. It's not a documentary. It is scattered with um, a lot of historical inaccuracies and or half-truths. Uh, like, for instance, um, I'm, I'm just going to give one example here. There's there's a plethora, though, but one of the examples is uh, the in the segment of the documentary, it mentions that uh, Prince Henry of Portugal, or Henry the Navigator, as he's known, traveled to uh, Africa to enslave Africans, and he tried to find a justification to enslave them. Well, that's completely false. Uh, he actually... Had his, his expedition to Africa was a religious one. He wanted to find uh, Christian converts to uh, combat the rise of the Ottoman Empire at the time. It was a, it was a religious expedition. It had nothing to do with slavery. Um, and also, you don't really need justification for slavery in the 1400s. It was uh, quite common back then. So you're going to find a lot of these little uh, mistruths in the film. This is why I called it a propaganda film. Um, Ibram X. Kendi also wanted an all-Black female narration cast. It's a series of Black female uh, narrators, so you can look forward to that. And But um, it's a little bit, I don't know, it, it doesn't hit as strong when they say lines like, you know, Thomas Jefferson is full of S-H-I-T. I know it's a family show, so I'm not going to say it out loud, but you, you, you can expect stuff like that in the film it's uh, once again it's called stamp from the beginning if it already came out on november 20th but if you're a glutton for punishment and you have netflix i encourage you to watch it uh it's going to be it's a quite an interesting uh quite an interesting watch so abram kendi character he kind of like is the font of all bad ideas that are coming out of modern culture is he not Yes, he is. And um, he's a good representation of what's happening in academia right now. Um, it's been infiltrated completely by these activists. I just want to reiterate, these are not educators or activists. We need to get educators back into higher education. This is why higher education is uh, so terrible right now. But um, yes, and he is a, a pro-Black activist. And what really upsets me about his writings and contributions and also this film is that, you know, they they have this, you know, if you're uh if you're for us, you're against them narrative. This like, and not no pun intended, but a black and white narrative that you have to be, if you're pro-black, you have to be anti-white. There's no common ground. And um, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, as someone who's obviously been through higher education as well, uh, you see this, this like, um, this narrative is being pushed constantly and trying to victimize black people all the time, obviously, all minorities, um, women included to a degree, but I wouldn't say not as much as uh, the black minority. But uh, it's really destructive. And in the film, they uh, they specifically say that this racism that's completely violent and dangerous to all minorities, especially black people, is still rampant in uh, America today. And that's a very dangerous narrative to hold, especially to these progressives that still believe that. And then you see them protesting Christmas lighting ceremonies and trying to get that canceled. And that's only going to rise, especially with the rise of BLM protests that that's been happening in the last three years for this documentary to come out is just dangerous.
I agree. Daniela, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? I'm just going to end with my usual, Austin. Um, follow me on my socials. Well, like Austin has mentioned, it's at Daniela on Twitter. I've been upping my game on there. So uh, follow me on there. Also, if you like, if you want pictures of me on Instagram, it's official Daniela Pensac as well. Official Daniela Pensac. All right. We love watching her Instagram posts, which are always great. Um, she's probably not going to last very long on TikTok, but I imagine that thanks to Elon Musk that we'll see Pensac Daniela for quite some time. So follow her over there. Thank you very much, Daniela. Have a wonderful day. It's great to see you again. And we will be seeing you again next week at this time. Awesome. Thank you. On Sunday, December 7th, 1941, shortly before 8 a.m., Japan launched a surprise attack on the United States of America by bombing the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The base was attacked by 350 Imperial Japanese aircrafts. Though the raid only lasted 75 minutes, the Japanese destroyed or damaged nearly 20 American naval vessels, including eight battleships and more than 340 airplanes. Over 2,400 Americans died in the attack, and many more were wounded. While the attack on Pearl Harbor was a surprise, tensions between the US and Japan had deteriorated over the decade, in particular with regards to Japan's expansion into China. The plan for attacking Pearl Harbor was to destroy the U.S.'s Pacific Fleet, a move which would give the Japanese time to carry out its plans to keep control of the Pacific without U.S. interference. The shock of the attack without declaration of war enraged the American public and rallied the nation to get behind a war many hoped to avoid. At the beginning of his speech to Congress requesting a declaration of war, President Franklin D. Roosevelt delivered this now famous line. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. On December 8, 1941, one day after the attack, the United States Congress declared war on Japan, officially entering World War II. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. That is today, Pearl Harbor Day. It is December the 7th, 2023. And I would like to invite you, our listener, to consider the implications of that sneak attack by the Imperial Japanese on the United States of America. You know, I reflect back on my travels to Japan earlier this year. Stephanie and I went to the Imperial War Museum, which is located in Tokyo, just a few steps away from the Imperial Palace. Uh, and some of the, the artifacts that are left over there from World War II and it definitely has helped to shape my understanding of the Japanese mindset when it comes to World War II. Uh, I, I have been a World War history buff ever since I was a young man. When I was in college, I competed in a debate competition 
um, with the uh, sort of a conspiracy speech that I had written where I had done some scholarly research, and this was, you know, more than 20 years ago, some scholarly research on the uh, justification for the United States' entry into World War II, which, of course, started way before the, the, the context or the question of why what happened on December 7th happened has more to do with just the event. It has a lot to do with the events leading up to that event. And I think, unfortunately, what happens in our history classes is that you learn about dates and you learn about names, but we very rarely get the context that helps us to fully understand the bigger picture of what led the United States and Japan to go to war. Now, when I wrote that speech in college, my argument there, what I was arguing for, was, was to say that I believed that Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew that the United States was going to eventually go to war with Japan and that he actually helped to steer the United States into that conflict. Part of that is true, and part of that I no longer believe. Uh, and that's because I've done 20 more years of research and homework and study and documentary viewing uh, and deeper consideration into this conflict, which has shaped the world that we view today. My lovely wife, who's sitting over here uh, to my left, asked me a question once about why I was so fascinated with World War II, because frequently whenever she comes down and is, uh, if I'm watching something, it's, it's typically a World War II documentary. If I'm playing a video game, it's probably a World War II game. Why am I so fascinated with this conflict? And I remember that the reason that I, what I answered to her was, that more than any other world event, this event has shaped the world that we live in today. To understand World War II is to understand why the world is on the footing that it is now. It's to understand the uh, United Nations. It's to understand how ch why China is a communist nation. It's to understand why the United States and Japan are uh, such good friends. It's to understand the post-World War II order. And that's why my fascination. But why did I change my mind uh, over the years, my understanding of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's knowledge of World War II? Well, it is publicly known and true that Winston Churchill did want the United States to come in. He knew that the situ situation was desperate for the United Kingdom and that one of probably the only way that Great Britain would survive would be if the United States entered into the war. That's makes perfect sense. And of course, if you're in a war for an existential a conflict, then it makes sense why you would want to have some allies come in and rescue you. So I honestly don't blame Winston Churchill for that, although many libertarians do. And I've read several critical biographies of Winston Churchill from libertarians who despise him. And I don't. Uh, I don't despise Winston Churchill for doing what he thought was necessary in order to protect the lives of his citizens and to ensure that his culture survived. Did Winston Churchill do some horrible things? Certainly. If you look up the Boer Wars, for example, I believe Winston Churchill may have been the very first person to ever make, to ever build a concentration camp. These great men of history did terrible things. Uh, as Daniela Pensack was talking about earlier, Thomas Jefferson uh, had things that were worthy of criticism. And the leftists, of course, point to that and say, well, since Thomas Jefferson had slaves, he was full of shit, and therefore he should not be listened to. But that's not true. 
FDR's great evils were not committed during World War II. FDR's great evils were committed domestically with his domestic policies. There are a couple of things to consider when you think about the entry of the United States into World War II. One, there are several things, but one is the question of what would cause Japan to desire to attack the United States. Was it justified? I think unequivocally the answer is no. Two, did the, did the Imperial Japanese properly warn the United States before they attacked us? No, it was a sneak attack. There's a great film that you could watch. It's not completely historically accurate called Tora, Tora, Tora. A great film from the 1950s. Um, and they, they just don't make movies like that. That deals with the Pearl Harbor attack. And the timeline is questionable related to how the Imperial, uh, the Imperial ambassador um, was to notify the United States that they would be declaring war on us. Of course, they attacked us before they declared war, which of course goes against the laws of war. But if there's something that you should understand or know about war, despite what how many laws there may be, people are going to break these laws. And war is chaos and anarchy without, uh, and the winners are going to try the losers for war crimes. Uh, the, um, the head of the Air Force at the time, which was attached to the Army during World War II, uh, General Curtis LeMay said that if we had lost the war, what we had done to Tokyo and to Dresden, the firebombing of Tokyo and Dresden, we would have been tried as war criminals. That's probably true, right? The, and the victors write the history. So one has to consider both sides and the scholarly research of both sides in order to form a more fully articulate opinion about what happened on December 7th, 1941. But of course, one of the biggest reasons why Japan attacked the United States had to do with the oil embargo that FDR instituted against Imperial Japan. And many libertarians will say, well, this goes against our libertarian principles because we believe in free trade. But then, of course, the question lies, do we allow corporations in the United States to sell Zyklon B to the Nazis to be used in the concentration camps? And uh, from an interpersonal perspective, if I refuse to, if I refuse service to you, if I don't want to bake your Nazi cake, can you attack me? Is that an act of, of aggression? Is my denial of your service? If the United States denies oil to Imperial Japan to go and to rape Nanking, does that give Japan the license to attack our ships, our battleships in Pearl Harbor? No, it does not. So I think that FDR did know that conflict with Japan was coming and he had intelligence. Remember that Congress and the, and the President of the United States, yes, they may be blithering idiots, yes, they do make mistakes, but they do have access to intelligence that most of us do not have access to. And what we have seen from FDR's papers is that he was aware that the Imperial Japanese were preparing for a potential attack against the United States, but his reaction to that would be what would make the United States's conflict with eventual conflict with Japan to be seen as virtuous in the eyes of history, or whether or not we would be those who would be branded infamous. My understanding of this conflict in, in, of, uh, that started on December 7th, 1941, is that it did not start on December 7th, 1941. Japan had been threatening American assets for quite some time. And of course, the United States did have colonies in the Philippines at the time, going back to World War I and, and before. 
but the question of the United States' involvement in World War II and whether or not it was just, um, I do believe that FDR did not know that that sneak attack was going to go that day and that it was an act of luck that the aircraft carriers were out to sea. So I would like to revise my speech that I gave in college all the way back in 2003. These are the consequences uh, of the decisions that are made by men who have actual authority and actual power. I would invite you to consider the story of the Sword of Damocles, which hangs above the head of all of those who have power. What is the Sword of Damocles? I'll tell you very briefly before we go. The Sword of Damocles is an ancient parable that has become a metaphor for the looming danger or a perilous situation, especially one involving a position of power. The story comes from a moral anecdote in ancient Greek culture that's usually associated with the court of Dionysus of Syracuse. So this is the fourth century BC tyrant of Sicily. According to the legend, Damocles was a courtier in Dionysus's court who expressed envy towards the king's immense power and luxurious lifestyle. But to illustrate the constant dangers that accompany such power, Dionysus offered Damocles the chance to sit on his throne. While Damocles was enjoying the opulence of the court, Dionysus arranged for a sword to be hung above the throne, suspended by a, sh by a single hair of a horse's tail. This demonstrated the precariousness and the constant threat faced by someone in a position of power. Quickly, Damocles realized that with great power comes great risk and that he asked to leave the throne, renouncing his envy of the king's position. This story serves as a reminder of the ever-present peril faced by those in positions of great authority or responsibility. The Sword of Damocles symbolizes the idea that great fortune and power also comes with great danger and anxiety. It's been referenced in various cultural, philosophical, and political contexts to illustrate the potential downsides of holding power. So consider that before you ever think you'd like to run for president of the United States. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. I'd like to invite you to visit ap4libertyshop.com. Don't forget, Martha's Mint Coffee is going to be running out of stock soon. So if you enjoy our Founding Flavors Coffee and you want to get a chance to try Martha's Mint, it's going to be gone by Christmas time. So go grab a bag or two. Remember, the more bags you buy, the more you save. So you save 2 3 10%. If you buy four more bags, you get the full savings. So visit ap4libertyshop.com. Don't forget, enter our custom sign giveaway, and we'll see you guys tomorrow with my my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie Peterson, on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com.